Well, welcome to our Good Friday service. We are thankful that you are with us today in what is one of the most important days in the Christian calendar. This is probably one of the strangest Good Friday services we've ever had because we are doing this online. And as a part of, of Good Friday, what we would do every year is to break bread together, to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, to reflect on the love that he had for you and for me, and to rejoice in the truth that we can have life today and life in all its fullness. And this is a meal unlike any other, because it's pointing in so many different directions. It's pointing backwards to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus lived on this earth, and Jesus died at a particular moment in history. Because of his death on the cross, we can have life today. It's pointing inwards. It's causing us to examine our own hearts, to ask questions about what sin is in our lives, what we need to repent of. And it's causing us to reflect upon the importance of coming to this table in a worthy manner. It's pointing outwards. It's pointing to our church family. Uh, communion is a time where the many become one. We gather around the same table and we rejoice that we are one together in Christ. And finally, it's pointing forwards. It's pointing to the hope, the expectation, the anticipation of all that God has for us beyond this life and in the life to come. Jesus himself taught us how to take this meal. And though we can't take this meal today physically, we can reflect upon its significance. And we find this in Luke chapter 12 and in verses 14 through 20, where Luke writes these words. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus sits at the table with his disciples and he says, This means this. This is more than a Passover meal. It's more than, than bread and wine. This is pointing to the reality of what it is I'm about to do. To die on this cross for your sins and for my sins. And you think the response of the disciples here would be one of gratitude. But instead we read shortly afterwards in verse 24 of our passage. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Now before you say to yourself what on earth are the disciples doing here? How can they move from hearing what Jesus has just said and then remove right into a bragging competition about who's the greatest. I want us for a moment just to understand what's going on here, as it relates to your own life. You'll probably not verbalise what the disciples verbalised here, but there's every chance you've internalised what the disciples verbalised. You'll have most likely internalised a desire to be great, to be number one, to be the most important at the expense of God, and at the expense of our people. The Bible describes this as pride, elevating yourself and relegating God and relegating your friends, your family, your neighbours, your work colleagues. Pride has a thousand different faces and only one outcome, which is sin. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't shoot them down for what they're doing. Instead, he offers a solution to this problem that they have. 
He doesn't reject this idea of greatness, this desire to be important, to be great. Instead, he redeems greatness. He shows us what it means to be truly great. A few verses down in Luke 22 and in verse 26, he says, Whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one servant. So according to Jesus, the greatest person is the one who forgets himself. It's the one who lives for the needs of others. It's the one who pours out his life in love for those who need help and support and strength. And what's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't just teach this kind of greatness. He demonstrates it. And the, the hours and minutes that follow on from this particular moment, Jesus physically demonstrates what it means to be truly great. He serves, he loves, he gives. Jesus' pursuit of greatness is evidenced through the cross. It cost him his very life. And because it cost him his very life, we can have life. And it's in the garden that he, con he contemplates this cost. In Luke 22 and in verse 42, we read these words from Jesus as he prays to his heavenly Father. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now notice the heart of Jesus. Not what I want, not what I desire, but what you want, God, what you desire. And God's desire, his will, was that his son would die in our place for our sins. And you know, there's a lot that happens before Jesus' final breath. And the more and more we read and understand Jesus' journey to the, the cross, the more and more we see just how costly it really was for him. I just want to highlight a few costs that Jesus faced as he made those steps towards his sacrifice on the cross. And the first cost is an emotional cost. The emotional cost for Jesus as he journeyed towards this cross. It was emotionally costly because he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. We read in Luke 22 and in verses 47 through to 48. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus in the garden, while he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. It was in the middle of the night. They were ambushed by the temple police and the sign from Judas to the guards that this was Jesus, arrest him, was a kiss. And it's where we get the phrase, the kiss of death from. Jesus saw through it. He understands why Judas is doing this. And he knows in this moment that he is being betrayed. It wasn't just betrayal. The emotional cost was also rejection. From arguably his closest friend, we read these words in Luke 22, starting in verse 54. They seized him, led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was fallen at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a while, after a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. 
But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus experiences rejection from the one man who said he would never reject him. And Peter flees, as do all the other disciples. They all go into hiding. Jesus is left alone with his accusers. So just take a moment to reflect on this. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is rejected by two of his closest friends. By two individuals that he had poured his life into. In fact, all 12 disciples fled. Everyone he invested his life into rejected him at his moment of need. Don't underestimate the emotional cost of what Jesus went through. It was betrayal and rejection, unlike any kind of betrayal and rejection we've experienced in our own lives. But it was more than just an emotional cost, there was also a physical cost. There was a physical cost to all that Jesus went through. We read the account straight after his arrest in Luke 22 in verses 63 through to 65. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. This is a short account of what Jesus went through physically. But there was so much more he experienced. When you read all four Gospels, we see all that Jesus went through physically. And all of this was driven by a love from Jesus to us so that we might be restored back to God. Jesus was spat in the face. He was punched in the face. Jesus was slapped in the face. Jesus was flogged with a lead-tipped whip. He was stripped naked. He was given a crown of thorns, and this crown was driven into his skull. Jesus was made to carry his own cross to the place where he would die. Jesus felt the weight of that cross. Jesus eventually hung on that cross and would ultimately die on the cross. The crucifixion, according to Nicky Gumbel, was the height of pain and the depth of shame. Jesus paid that price for you and for me. The physical cost for Jesus was unbearable. It cost him his very life. It led to his death. And more than the emotional and physical cost, there was also the spiritual cost. We read these words in Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. And Matthew actually goes into a bit more detail in Matthew 27 and verse 45 through to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John Calvin described this moment as the terrible torments of a condemned and lost man. And it's here we see the spiritual cost for Jesus. It wasn't that these set of circumstances, his journey to the cross, his death on the cross, occurred by happenstance. No, it was the Lord's will for Jesus to go through this. It was the Lord's will to crush him. It wasn't that Jesus felt forsaken. He was forsaken. God the Son was forsaken by God the Father. Take a moment to reflect on this. Through all, there continued to be this unshakable bond between God the Father and God the Son. It's why Jesus cries out, My God, my God. 
and yet at the same time, God the Father and God the Son, there was conflict, there was tension because all of the world's sin was placed on Jesus. The theologian Donald MacLeod speaks of this moment in the Gospel in this way. The sufferings of his soul, as the old divines used to say, were the soul of his suffering. And into that soul we can see what dimly, public though the cry was, it expressed the intensely private anguish of a tension between the sin-bearing son and his heavenly father, the whirlwind of sin at its most dreadful, God forsaken by God. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The full cup of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. He took all of our sin. And it is only after that cup is drained that we read in verse 45, the second part of verse 45 through to 46. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. The curtain was torn. There was no longer a barrier between us and God. The curtain was a, a symbol of a separation between an unholy people and a holy God. This has now been removed. We are able to have a relationship with God himself. Jesus breathes his last. The curse is exhausted. Jesus returns to his Father. The words of that modern hymn come to mind. If the price is paid, come let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make our own. For every sin more than enough he gave and bought our freedom from each guilty stain. The price is paid, alleluia. Amazing grace, so strong and sure. And so with all my heart, my life in every part, I live to thank you for the price you paid. Jesus paid the full price. The spiritual cost has been paid and because of this, you and I can now be spiritually debt free. The door has now been opened for a right relationship with God the Father. This is an incredible story of Good Friday. This day is encapsulated in the words of 1 John 2 and verse 2. Speaking of what Christ has done for us, John says this, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. That word atoning, meaning that Jesus paid for our sins through his very life. Such is the power of Good Friday. As we close, let me just highlight three implications for us as we come to terms with the reality, the power and the significance of this day. Implication number one, you will see God for who he really is. The more and more we understand Good Friday, the more and more we will see God for who he really is. I would encourage you over the course of Easter weekend to spend some time reading Luke chapter 22 and 23. Take time to be still, to open up God's word, to read these chapters and take a moment to understand how far Jesus went to rescue you. When you see how far Jesus went, you see how much Jesus loved, how much he loves you today, how much he desires to transform your life. Implication number two, the more and more we understand Good Friday, the more and more we will see that our lives are no longer about us. Your life is no longer about you. If God really did go this far to rescue you, then how could your life and your achievements outweigh anything that God has done or anything of who God is? People often ask that big philosophical question, why am I here? But when you understand Good Friday, you see that you are here because of Jesus. 
and you are here for Jesus. When your life is no longer about you, it produces within you this deep desire to love him, to please him. It instills within you joy. Your life becomes rooted in Christ. You're secure in Jesus and all that he has done for you. And it doesn't matter what you face in this life. If your foundation is Jesus, then you cannot be thwarted. Implication number three, you will reflect God through his son Jesus. The more and more we understand the reality, power and significance of Good Friday, the more and more we will love Jesus and the more and more we will reflect him with all that we are. A relationship with Jesus means you become more like Jesus. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll point other people towards him. People will see something different in you. They won't see you, they will see God at work in you. You become a better version of you. As cheesy as that sounds, God wants to renew you and restore you. One that glorifies God instead of yourself. One that is full of generosity instead of greed. One that is characterised by peace instead of anger and hatred. The fruit of Good Friday really is freedom. You're free to be who God created you to be. So let me encourage you, there's no better life than one that is rooted in Jesus. See what he has done for you. And I would invite you to make a decision to follow him today. If you have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, you can do that today. You can respond in faith. And if you have any questions about anything that we've looked at today, then take a moment to contact us, either through social media or at info at denisonbaptist.co.uk. What's most important for us eh, as a church family and as those who are watching is that we understand the reality, the purpose, the significance of Good Friday. My hope and prayer is that as we have spent time unpacking and digging through the scriptures, we would see that it all points towards Jesus. It points towards his death. It points towards the fact that when we receive this truth, when we receive the reality of what he has done for us, we are transformed and we can experience life. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you that we can respond in faith today. Lord, we pray that for anyone who is watching this, who has yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would make a decision today to do that. That they would turn away from the things in their life that are not of you, from the things of this world. That they would choose to follow your way. They would choose uh, to pursue you with all that they are. And Lord, this would lead to their transformation. It would lead to renewal. It would create joy in their heart and it would give them purpose and meaning and significance. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of Good Friday. We pray that you would bless us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.